0: Listening to First Church Charlotte. All right, God bless you as you return to your seats. I don't want to hear anything else about me being long winded. That's that's all I have to say about that. Uh, No, no. You know, actually, how that game is played, just in case you wonder what's going on, is we'll uh, have questions when I ask them, well, then the team will call. Uh, the person's uh, spouse, uh, and ask them to answer the questions, and then they compare their answers to what their spouse said. You can see where this would get you into trouble. Yeah, but it's great fun, and it's all at their expense. And we want to have fun in church, and uh, <laughs> and uh, that's that's we we I I will say this: we only use people who are very hard to offend. <laughs> Because if you've ever been, if you have a, a humor personality, you know that every joke is a risk. Every joke is a risk. And so if some of you guys, your name came up, and I said, never going to happen. <laughs> never going to happen. <laughs> All right. Psalms 82, verse number 5. I'm reading one uh, short phrase of this verse, and I'm starting a new series uh, for this summer entitled Storm Season storm season, and we are looking at storms um, in our our spiritual lives. So the the passage I want to read is the piece of Psalms 82, verse number 5, where it simply says, all the foundations of society are shaken to the core. Now, there's a a larger context to the passage where the the Bible talks about that, are you so foolish and so ignorant because you are in darkness? Uh, All the foundations of society are shaken to the core. Uh, But I, rather than spending a a lot of time specifically talking about the history of this moment, I want to use it as a principle, as a truth that is true uh, in almost uh, any society, anywhere, anytime, things happen that shakes that society to its very core. Um, we are in late summer, and in late summer, all across the world, uh, we go into storm season. We start having uh, hurricanes, we start having tornadoes in the plain states uh, at the coastlines. we have these hurricanes, plain states, you have tornadoes. Uh, if you're on the west coast, we have fire storms. that's like a new thing just when we thought nothing else could go wrong. Uh, these storms are very much, very much seasonal. Now, uh, we have winter storms too here in here in Carolina. We don't really have much threat from hurricanes, small threat occasionally, but we're, you know, we're 120, 150 miles inland, so it's a very rare rare storm that gets to us. We don't have threat from uh, tornadoes compared to, say, Kansas or the the Plains states. We do have a threat, but comparatively speaking, people in Kansas laugh at us. Uh, They feel like they're the real uh, risk state for that. Uh, we don't have forest fires, thank God, not not here. way too much water for that. People who live in deserts uh, and in drought conditions, they're the one at risk for fire. Uh, we are I, I should compliment all of you on your great, risk management in choosing a place to live. You should compliment yourself and say, I chose well. We don't have earthquakes. We don't really have hurricanes. We don't really have tornadoes. We don't really uh, have a lot of the things, certainly not firestorms. You did well, and I pronounced you very well managed. So blessings upon you. Storm season every year is uh, really, though, an awareness of how the planet can threaten us, hurt, hurt us, and even kill us. Uh, I don't know if you've watched the storms that were in Germany this past week, but the amazing footage on online of these medieval cities and uh, the the alleyways turning into rivers. And really, it's it's rare in an industrialized nation to have hundreds of people. Missing from a storm because of uh, the building codes and because of, um, you know, stormwater management and all. It's just not something we deal with uh, that often. And when it happens, it shakes that country uh, to its core. Um, it's much more common for us to hear of poor nations who haven't, uh, in some way, the resources to invest in their infrastructure. They Uh, you hear of it more there. But I want to remind all of you that no matter how prepared you are, uh, nature can remind us of uh, the fact that we're quite small. And that's what a storm does. A storm reminds you of just how small small you are. And it shakes us. Now spiritually we also have storms. It's not just a physical phenomenon as you know. Uh, One of my favorite preachers when I was a young preacher. I, I listened to him a lot. Uh, he, pr- he wrote a book about storms, and he had this statement in it that, that is, is true and fun. It goes like this. Everybody is either going into a storm, in a storm, or coming out of a storm, as if to say, storms are a part of your spiritual life. Now I know that's not exciting. I know no one wants to, you know, celebrate that. But it is spiritually true, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more here today. Storms terrify us. They they scare us. They shake us to uh, our core. I, I heard a story about a, a country boy, and uh, he lived out out in East Carolina. And there's a lot of swamps out in East Carolina. And whether you know it or not, uh, North Carolina has a lot of alligators. Not as many as Florida, but we are either number two or number three in the alligator count uh, in uh, North America, which is uh, interesting. We, however, in this part of the country don't really have alligators. If you have one, you have an interesting choice in pets. Um, but uh, if you go to the east where the, the, the coastal regions are, that's where we actually have alligators. Well, evidently, this this boy, he had... Uh, he had not realized alligators were near his house. His mom told him to go down by the creek and bring back a pail of water for some project she was doing. And uh, he went down there, and he, he, he dipped out a big old pail of water, and he, he, he looked out a little bit into the water, and he saw two big eyes looking at him. Now, this can be uh, disconcerting uh, when you didn't know something was in the water. Let me tell you a personal story. When I first got in the Nugent family, I didn't know anything about Louisiana and the whole alligator swamp, all that. Those were crazy people to me. Uh, Those are the kind of people you made TV shows about. Uh, In fact, of uh, about 30, 40-odd reality shows that are showing in America, over 20 of them are about Cajun people, which should tell you just how crazy that part of the world is. But they have good people and they have good food. Can I get a witness? Mm. If you haven't learned to love Cajun food, I want to tell you there's two righteous foods that God made. One of them is Cajun food and one of them is Mexican food. Thank you, Lord. Mighty God. Mighty God. Moving right along. And so I, I uh, was taken down in that part of the world. And some of her friends were like, we're going to take you crabbing. And I was like, sure, that'd be great. And so they took me down into the real, real wild country, and they tie a piece of meat on a string. And what you do is you, you just throw it out in this, this creek. You don't even know there's anything there. And, and then you slowly pull it back, and you take a net, and you lay it on the bottom of the creek. And the crabs follow that meat. They're like little greedy, you know, and they follow right. And then you lift the net, net up and you catch a crab to three or four if you in a good spot. And then that's, you know, later on you boil the crabs. And so hopefully that's the only type of crab catching you do. There are other types of crab catching, but this is the one we're talking about here today. Um, I just wanted to be clear on that for everyone in the church. So I was trying to catch these kinds of Crabs. Which is a strange thing for a preacher to admit to, to try to catch these kinds of crabs. But I I had the net and I had the the, the meat on the string. I was pulling it in. I, I don't know what's so strange here today. I'm just having an innocent heart, you know. I'm a naive young man. What do I know? And I'm just pulling that string back in. The crabs are coming back in. We're catching them. Well, I, because I, you know, I'm young at this stage. I'm in my 20s, and I'm pretty sure nothing could ever hurt me because, blah. And uh, I wade out into the water, and I'm literally waist deep. And I'm casting over in an area they haven't cast to. And I, I look over. True story. I look over, and there's an alligator sitting there looking at me. I, no, no, no lie. My wife was there. She can, she can confirm I'm lying to you. No, no, that's a joke. She can confirm it really happened. And there was an alligator, like, right there. It wasn't huge. It was maybe five, five feet long, but its head was like that, which I don't know about you, but that big of a head, that's bigger than your head. And um, I don't want you biting me, so that goes to show you just how much. And so I look over and I see this alligator. I realize I'm in the waist deep of water. And and, and then it goes under the water. And, um, yeah, so I begin walking backward in Jesus' name. Which, if you have never walked backward in Jesus' name, it's because you've never waited with alligators. But as an alligator expert, thank you very much, I begin wading backward. I want you to know that I am here. I survived mostly intact, uh, but here I am. And uh, I know what it means to look over and see a pair of eyes looking at you. I have another story about snakes, but don't have time. That also was in Cajun country. The word of the Lord for your life is be careful in South Louisiana. Now, moving along. All right, so this boy he 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 got a pail of water, looked over, and there's an alligator right there. And he dropped the pail. And he went running to his mother, and he said, "Mother, I I I I couldn't bring the water back. There's a big old alligator in the creek." And and she said, "Oh, now she had grown up around there. She wasn't impressed. She said, "Oh, don't worry about that alligator. That alligator's as scared as you as you are of it." Now you go back down there and get some water. And the boy goes back down, and he comes back again with no water. She said, why don't you have water? And uh, he said, Mom, I've been thinking. I've been thinking hard, and this is what I think, you know. You said that alligator was as scared of me as I was of it. And if that's true, then that water ain't fit to drink. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so uh, things scare us. Things terrify us. There can be circumstances in our life that... Uh, really, fill us with a sense of um, the, you know, it's <laughs> how is this going to end? Storms do that. You don't just see it uh, in kind of like the news, you see it in stories of the Word of the Lord. Storms are used to teach us of the trouble that people go through and how trouble becomes uh, uh, something spiritually important in our lives. So, Uh, With that introduction, I I want to say this to you. I have been pastoring long enough to know that some of you guys are dealing with real real uh, fear in your life. Some of you are dealing with real wonderment, uh, wondering, uh, 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 just a sense of doubt and anxiety. Uh, Some of you are more than just anxiety. You are living through a storm. You know it's bad, and you don't see how... Uh, it's going to end, but your life has turned into this. Make it another day. Hold on. Things have got to get better. I'm probably preaching to a handful of folks here today. I want you to know storms are real, and yet it is through the difficulty of life, through the storm that God develops us into who we could be for his kingdom. I, I want to, in this series, refer Uh, primarily to the story of Daniel and the three Hebrew children. We can read the story in chapter number one of Daniel, and the first thing you need to know, and uh, they'll put some of the scriptures up on the screen, and I may read some of them, but I want you to get it as a story because it's given to you as a sacred uh, narrative as a sacred story of instruction there were lots of people who went through many things and we don't know their story but God preserved some stories for us because of the depth of spiritual insight that is a direct result of the story uh, this is one of those sacred stories so uh, Jerusalem has been destroyed the house of Israel has been conquered by the empire of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar uh, literally uh, leads his armies to the complete uh, destruction of Jerusalem complete victory over their armies and uh, he carries them away captive back to uh, Babylon and uh, their armies are slain on the battlefields and those who uh, can travel are taken and they are really a remnant of their former self It is a great storm. It is a spiritual storm. It is an existential storm. In other words, their very lives are at risk and uh, threatened, and they are taken away captive to to Babylon, and there are young men who are part of this group. Uh, Interestingly, Nebuchadnezzar wants to use the most talented of the Hebrew children. He's not presiding over a tribe. Uh, In tribes, a lot of times, who you're related to is more important than what you can do or how much merit you have. Now, nations begin to change that, and it's not just who you're related to. Uh, They want to use merit wherever it's found and talent wherever they can find it. And so, Nebuchadnezzar is wise in his real-world leadership. He wants to use whatever talent he has. This is one of the reasons, historically, why nations have always conquered tribes, because how good... You are matters more than what your last name is. And this is just history. Uh, you can like it or not like it, but it's just history. Nebuchadnezzar is very much wanting to use the talent of the people he has conquered. And, and interestingly, uh, Nebuchadnezzar will do a better job of using their talent than they will. Uh, this is how uh, empires and nations ultimately replace the smaller, more tribal type of communities. And so, These young men are taken to uh, this foreign kingdom and there's so much they cannot control. They have to decide what they're going to do to stay connected to the faith of their fathers. Uh, Real quick, let me give you some scripture. Um, He ordered his chief of staff, a man by the name of Ashpenaz, Ashpenaz, I should say. He is in charge of palace personnel, in other words, chief of staff. um, And he is selecting uh, the Jewish youths, looking for the, the best of them the smartest of them, uh, the ones uh, who have nobility in them, and he wants them to learn the uh, Chaldean language, Chaldean literature. He wants to pick the best, and he wants the ones who are well-informed, the Bible tells us. He wants the most alert He wants the most sensible. Don't you love sensible people? (laughs) He wants sensible people. He has enough crazy people. He wants sensible people. Uh, uh, Don't don't say amen on that because, you know, your friends will wonder if you're talking about them. And we will know you are. (laughs) He wants the best of them. He's going to incorporate them and train them. Now, there's Daniel, there is Hananiah, there is Mishael, and there's Azariah. They are the three Hebrew children and Daniel. God will use them to tell a story that's greater than empire, a story that cannot be silenced, a story that is about how God keeps people who want to be kept, how he keeps covenant with people who want to serve him. Now... As a pastor, I wish I could awaken in all of you a sense of God's covenant in your life. A sense of God's commitment to you. Because if I could do that, you would then have a heart toward his kingdom. But not everyone can perceive the covenant of God. Let's just be honest. Some people can only perceive the world. And really the challenge of our faith, hear me today. The challenge of faith is whether or not we can, through faith, Perceive an eternal kingdom. Can you perceive God in your midst? Or can all you ever see is how much money somebody has or how famous somebody is or whether or not it works out for you? Can you see the supernatural hidden within the natural? This is the test of all of our, our faith. These young men are not the only Hebrew men in this uh, gathering of uh, men brought into the Babylonian Empire. There's others, but they're the only ones who are striving to stay connected to the God of their covenant. Do you see this? There's other Hebrew children, but they're not the ones who can teach us why. They're not the ones struggling and straining to stay connected to their divine covenant. These young men can't control how they are educated. They can't. They are not in charge. They have to fight for covenant and connection to covenant in the midst of a secular, heathenistic education, do you see? They can't control where they're going to work. They can't control it. They're going to be assigned But what they can do is hold on to the covenant of God's promise in their life. At first, they can't control how they're they're fed, how they eat, but they will make a decision that as an act of commitment to the Lord, they would not eat meat offered to idols. It was a connection between idolatry and uh, the meat that they would eat, and they decided to take that. As a statement of conviction and to honor that as a way of staying connected to God. I want to remind you of a couple things here. First of all, your commitment to God is very much what you do in your life to honor him. You need to do something. You need to find something you won't do and something, and some things you do not do. And you need to offer that to God as worship. It's not a plan of saving yourself. You can't do that. Even if you kept all those good things, you still wouldn't be good enough to be saved. Salvation's his business. You know what this is? This is a way of worshiping the one who saved you, and it is a way of testifying to the people who see you. This is what they're going to do. Now, there's no clear prohibition for them to do this. They choose this. There's many things they can't do. Let me give you some examples. They can't go to the tabernacle anymore and offer sacrifice. That's been taken from them. They can't go to the temple anymore and join in the uh, worship of the priesthood and follow the form and the structure of Old Testament worship symbolism. That's all been taken from them. All the stuff that's reassuring to them, reassuring to their parents, reassuring to their grandparents, all the way back to the giving of the law at Moses, they've lost all of it. What are they going to do? Are they going to say, because we can't do everything, we're not going to do anything? That's what a lot of us do. If we can't do everything, then we don't do anything. I'm here to tell you, that is a cop-out and not pleasing to God. You need to find what you can do, and you need to make it an offering of worship and consecration to Almighty God. And can the church say amen? They are now in this condition. They can't control how they're educated. They can't control what their worship will be. Remember, they've lost the temple. That is the structure of their worship. The feasts and the offerings of the temple is not just some uh, civic thing. It is literally their worship. They have lost access to all of that. They can't control where they're going to work. They furthermore cannot even control their identity. Their names are taken from them, and Daniel is now called Belshazzar. Uh, This is verse number 7, chapter number 1. And uh, Hananiah, you don't know him as Hananiah. You know him by his Nebuchadnezzar name, uh, Shadrach. Uh, and Mishael is known to you and me by his Babylonian name, which is Meshach, and Azariah is known to you and to me by his Babylonian name, uh, Abednego. This is why we sing songs about when growing up in Sunday school, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They can't even control their identity. Somebody else is saying who and what they are. But just because they can't control everything is not enough for them to give themselves an excuse. They decide what can we do, not what could we do in a perfect world. So many people don't do anything because they identify something they wish they can do. And because they can't do it, they say, I'm not doing anything. I wish I was a great singer. In my heart, there is a great singer it just never can come out of my my, my, my my voice when I sing, my wife laughs and leaves the room. It's a cold-hearted thing she does. Pray for her that the Lord would be merciful to her because she can't preach. That's all I got to say about that. That's a joke, baby. That's a joke. You've been taken over lately. Uh, it's a real, you guys know we're having fun. This is not teasing. This is flirting. I'll call you. Anyway, moving along, so the idea here is I could say because I am not given the role, the title, the opportunity that I want, that I'm not going to do anything that is a cop out, and God forgive us every time we do it. I wish someone would say amen. So I want you to see they have lost so much, and yet this trial of their life comes to them wrapped in their greatest opportunity. Now, we don't like to admit this, but without this opportunity, no one would have known they existed. Without this opportunity, we wouldn't have heard about them. We wouldn't have read about them. Furthermore, they would not have been a witness to the Babylonian Empire. And you will notice, although um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is a title and not a, a name in, its, in itself, um, there is a great witness in Babylon of the Hebrew God. And it will pay off because who is going to fund the return to Jerusalem, this very empire? Do you see? This same moment that is their greatest trial is also their greatest opportunity. All right, so... I have brought you up to speed, and I very quickly want to go through a few things here. Three truths I want you to take with you today. Number one, adversity is a part of life. There's no way to escape it. Adversity is life, and life is adversity. There's no point feeling sorry for yourself. There's no point sucking your thumb. Uh, Even if you had a trust fund and didn't have to work, you would still face adversity. You would just have different problems. Instead of wrestling with finances, you would wrestle with drug addiction or gambling addiction. I'm telling you, I do not have never met anybody in my life who did not have a sense of storm and adversity uh, in their uh, life. It is a part of life. There is no escape from it. That is true. Somebody say that's true. But here's number two. Adversity is hard, but God is good. Somebody take a moment and praise him in this house. Adversity is hard, but God is good. Number three, adversity ultimately is the battlefield upon which we fight for faith. We lose or win faith on the battlefield of adversity. All right. So that middle one is the one I want to take a few moments more and have you consider. And that is this one. Uh, Adversity is hard, but God is good. Let me give you some scripture. The first principle of this, adversity is hard, but God is good, is simply this. Adversity will reveal your heart. It will reveal your heart. God wants to reveal good things about you, but if there is evil in your heart, it is going to be brought out by adversity. How do I know that God wants good things for you? Well, I think of scriptures like Jeremiah 29, verse number 11. This is God speaking. The plans I have for you are plans for good and not to harm you, they are plans to give you hope. And a future. Uh, So the first thing that we see is that adversity reveals our hearts. Jeremiah 17 and 10. The Lord searches our hearts and examines our deepest motives so that he can give to each person his right reward according to how he has lived. How about Deuteronomy 8 verse number 2. God led you all the way into the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you. In order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commandments. Uh, Here is a truth. If you get the promised land with the wrong spirit, what would have blessed you ultimately curses you. But if you get the promised land with the right spirit, it becomes the manifestation of God's kingdom here on earth. Done right, it manifests the heart of God. Done wrong, it's another mechanism uh, for the Lucifer religion of self, to promote the self. That's how religions turn into make me rich. That's how religion turns into my group is more important than your group. That's how religion turns into politics. Vote like me or you're not saved. Do you see? Because the Lucifer way of religion is to serve self. And the kingdom of God is about humbling the self and exalting the creator. That's why the promised land is given after your heart has been humbled. I gave you the promised land, but I had to examine your motives, the Lord says, to humble you and test you. So the question you should ask yourself in adversity, let me, let me say it this way. The first question you should ask yourself in adversity is this, what is this problem revealing about me? What is this struggle revealing about me? The second thing, the second principle I want you to get, if you can, in this idea that life is hard, adversity is real, but God is good, is this. Adversity often corrects us. God uses it to correct us. Hebrews 12, verse number 8, God corrects all of his children. And if he doesn't correct you, then you really don't, you don't really belong to him. Hmm, heavy thoughts. God corrects us for our own good and because he wants us to be holy as he is. This is the principle of our heart needs to reflect his heart because if it reflects us, we will use our religion uh, to make ourselves rich. Preachers will use religion to make themselves famous or wealthy. People will use religion to defend their politics or their place in the world and try to keep someone else down. This is all the way of Lucifer, the exaltation of self, but when we we are humbled our hearts are made like God that is God's holiness in us not exalting the self but opening our heart to others and being reconciled one to another it's never fun the author of the book of Hebrews says it's never fun to be corrected in fact at the time it is always painful always painful and can someone say yes But if we learn to obey by being corrected, we will do right and live at peace. How about Hebrews 12, verse 26? When God spoke from Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he says, I will not only shake the earth, but the heavens too. By this he means... That he will sift out everything without a solid foundation so that only the unshakable things will be left. Or how about this, Job 5, verse number 17, consider yourself fortunate when God, all-powerful, chooses to correct you. Uh, this correction comes in and in, in, through adversity. Um, I, I want you to see that adversity comes from many sources. God uses them all. Some of them are from God. God is not the author of all of them. However, the Bible clearly teaches some of them are from God. And we cannot judge God by deciding what is from Him and what is not from uh, Him. Let me give you some ideas of different sorts of adversity in our life. One source of adversity in your life is your sinful nature. I got no amens. It's still true. Another source of adversity in your life is the world. Uh, that is particularly when the lusts of our life are draw, are, are so strong. That is such a, a real, a real power against us. And another source of adversity is Satan. Another source of adversity, as I mentioned, is God testing us. And finally, the Bible says, time and chance happens to all men and to all women. Uh, however, we... We are not to judge God and say, you did this to me. We are to submit ourselves to God and say, whatever it is I go through, you are able to turn for the good. And can somebody say amen? Are you hurting? You need to take a moment and praise God because he can make good out of it. Are you in pain? Let's praise God right now. Lord, we might be living in pain. We might be facing trouble. You can bring good out of it all oh, God uses adversity he is good it reveals our heart it corrects our heart what is this problem teaching us third adversity directs us Proverbs 16 verse number 9 a person may plan his own journey but the Lord directs his steps Proverbs 20 verse 30 Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Man, this is some heavy scripture for us today. Psalms 119 verse 59. I have thought about my life and I have directed my feet back to your written instruction. Adversity directs our hearts. So adversity corrects or adversity reveals our heart, adversity corrects our heart, third, adversity directs our heart. What am I going through and how is God using it to direct my life? Number four, adversity protects us in strange ways that only people of faith can see. It requires faith to look at trouble in your life and say, Lord, I have to believe you know that what you are doing in this. It's an uh, act of faith for us to be able to say, this door closed, and it might have been because you were saving me from a trial that I could not, I could not make it through. We have to be careful judging the Lord, but I want you to know the Lord can use circumstance in our life to protect our heart. Watch this. Uh, this Is uh, Job 36 and 16. God has led you away from danger giving you freedom and most famously Genesis 50 verse number 20 Jacob speaks to the brother excuse me Joseph speaks to the brethren who have betrayed him and he says you intended it for evil but God intended it for good the exact same thing intended from two different sources your evil motive will not overpower God's motive of grace and goodness life is hard. Adversity is hard, but God is good. Adversity can protect us. How could God use this to protect me? And finally, and I'm almost done. Musicians, you can come. Adversity perfects us. So uh, we have seen how adversity reveals our heart, corrects our heart, directs our heart, protects our heart. And number five, adversity can perfect our heart 1 Timothy 5 verse number 10 after you have suffered suffered for a little while the god of all grace who calls you to share in his eternal glory in union with Christ will himself perfect you and give you firmness strength and a sure foundation This is what God does through the trials of your life. How about Romans 5, verse number 3? We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient, and patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it. So the question we ask ourselves is, how can I grow? from this problem. How can I grow from this problem? I want to end with this and I want you to hear me as with as open spirit as you can have, as with as much good-heartedness as you can. The struggle you have with adversity is going to be the battlefield upon which your faith is made or broken. The adversity in your life is going to be the battlefield where your faith is demonstrated or destroyed. And it is a daily wrestling, a daily fighting out of adversity in our life. There is no path without adversity. Man who was born of woman is a few days, and the wise man said, they are full of trouble. Now, I'm not trying to be negative, although it's a very negative thing to acknowledge. It's not all that is true, though, along with the negativity of life is the goodness, the promise, the blessing, and the presence of God. Do you see? And so there is a reality of adversity, and we will work this out. Uh, This working out will require faith on our part. And like the, the, the Hebrew children and Daniel, we're going to have to choose the area of our life that we can offer to God. Let's be honest. We don't have perfect control over everything in our life. I know it's easy for us to pretend like that on Sunday, We act like we have perfect control over everything in our life. But I would be really doing you no favor if I were to say that to you today. There's a good amount of stuff that you have no control over. You're going to have to take it as it comes. You can't stop the waves. All you can do is try to get better at surfing. Dude, we're all surfers. Dude, totally. Dude, awesome, rad surfers. We all are. And the waves keep on coming, and the waves keep coming, and they don't stop coming. And you have to surf them. And in the failure of that, God somehow works in a divine way to bring out His good will, His good reward in our life. But if you can't let go of judgment where you're judging God, you will never survive to see the hand of God in your life. Bitterness ultimately is how most people succumb to doubt and fear. Sin has killed not near as many as bitterness has killed because bitterness is when not simply are you drawn away by your lust. That's the way of sin and it's happened to everybody. Let me tell you, the most Person, you know the most careful, the most righteous person in your and you know has been tempted in their flesh and drawn away by their lust. Do you see? They have. They all have. It's not just a few of us uh, uh, edgy types who are called, called drawn away in our our lust. It's everyone. And we fight through that, and we turn our heart back toward God, and we don't judge God, and we don't speak against God. And through the adversity of life, we begin to. Ask ourselves some questions. What is this adversity revealing about my heart? And God, can you use anything with the truth of my heart? And what is this adversity uh, teaching me? How is it teaching me and correcting me? How is it directing me? How is it protecting me? And oftentimes I cannot perceive it. How do I grow from this? If you can take it all and give it back to God, then He has a chance to work with you. But if you cannot, in your adversity, will come your excuse as to why you no longer try to serve God and why you're no longer a worshiper and you can give up on church and you can justify you quitting because everybody else quit and you're sinning because everybody else is a sinner and in stop, you stop ultimately being a worshiper, which is eyes on Him. That's all a worshiper is, eyes on Him. And your eyes is on others. I don't know what you are now, but you're not a worshiper. Eyes on Him. Like in the military, eyes front, I have a spiritual call for you. Eyes up. Eyes on Him. I am a worshiper. Lots of things I can't control. Lots of things I don't know. But all my eyes are on Him. Stand with me all across the house. Trust God for that which I do not understand. Surrender to God that which I do not understand. Lord, I pray for every heart here today. I pray that you would draw us close and let the word speak into our life. I pray that you would let the anointing of your presence be something we perceive, something that we embrace, and we would be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. All across the church, would you let your heart be directed heavenward? Our, our worship team is going to lead us in, in worship. If you'd like to step out of the, 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 the chair you're in and come down to the front, you're welcome to do so. I know we've already had one uh, prayer time here today. But those of you who would like to come, you're welcome to come right now. But wherever you are, all across the house, will you direct your attention heavenward? And would you imagine uh, the adversity in your life completely submitted to God? What would that look like? If the pain in your life was really submitted to God, what would it look like? Would you bow your head all across the church? Would you ask yourself this question right now? How am I submitting? How am I doing in submitting my adversity to God? In Jesus' name, help us to win this struggle within our lives. Help us to release it to you by the power and the promise of your name. Help us to commit ourselves to you, O God. Help us to wrestle with the lust of the flesh and turn our back on them. Help us to wrestle with the pride of life and overcome it through faith. Help us to turn away from uh, the things of this world that are so alluring to us, at least in the, the, the season of our lusts and our desires. And Lord Jesus, help us to see an eternal kingdom beyond this world. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them.